It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of The Gun Nation, Glock is coming out with some new long slide pistols. Ian explains how the swing out cylinder revolver began. We have our shot show preview, and we get to your emails and voicemail. All that and a whole lot more in this episode of The Gun Nation, and it all begins right now. Right, welcome back. Tonight we have Ian. Grant. No, Ian, how are you, sir? I'm good. Oh, you sound good. Got Grant Cunningham, the man with hair. How are you, sir? I am wonderful. Yeah. How's your hair? Uh flowing in the wind. Ian, you you, you probably ought to correct him on that since you're like the master. <laughs> um Oh, you feeling better? Cause uh, last week you had a little uh Distress, I believe. Yes, I, I am feeling much better. And do you know what I owe my my health to? Doc? Yeah, that weedy, vinegary. <laughs> yeah, stop. I have it. I owe you it to this. Looking at the Taurus website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I owe it to this delicious kombucha. Oh. Mm. Boy, well, good. I have. I, I already tell you that I have. You know that um, Ian has been drinking uh, scotch. Uh, we have Paul Carlson with us again tonight. Paul, how are you tonight? I'm cold. Yeah, you know, that's just the way it goes. Don't worry yeah. about it. Shake it off, buddy. <laughs> Shake it off. But you're counteracting that with a little bit of uh, clear imbibing. Yeah, right out of Texas. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, five times, I think. Texas is the mecca of vodka. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so those two cancel out the kombucha. <laughs> I mean, just just cancel it right out. There we go. We're good. Uh, Joe's got the night off. He is working tonight. Um, hated not to get him in, but uh, we we got a lot to talk about. Shot shows coming up, and uh, we're gonna do a little preview of that. And uh, got a lot of email, so I, I guess it's best we just kind of get right to it. Um, got this one from Matt, and uh, Matt says, uh, "Hi guys, I would like to know." Each of your opinions on the Versa Carry holster. Mm-hmm. I have now. I have read Average Joe's review of them, and he loves them. I have an issue with inserting anything into the muzzle of a pistol. I have heard reports of the retention rods breaking off inside the barrel. I would like to know what y'all. Oh, awesome! Y'all think? Uh, love the show, guys. Uh, okay, so I'll go first. Uh, no. Anybody next? Uh, I don't Grant? think they make one for a Steyr Han, so I haven't ever done it. 
Yes, they're universal. Probably made out of brass dead, if it is, though. Actually. Uh, yeah, it'll be made out of brass and brass. cast iron. Yeah. <laughs> Rolled iron. <laughs> I'm in the no vote on that one, too. Um, anything that doesn't completely cover the trigger guard Bingo. is probably not going to be a holster that I would select for a handgun. And, and you know, Grant, I'm sure you fall right into that. That that's pretty much it, and it it, ha, it doesn't cover the the trigger. It only covers it on one side, and that's if you use the little optional paddle thing. Right. And of course, sticking something in the barrel is just never a good idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, two thumbs down. Yeah, I've got I've got the um, <clears throat> I've got them here. I mean, they had sent them to me when they first came out, and I can see what the appeal is. Obviously, it's supposed to remove the fact that you've got the uh, you know holster around the gun, therefore minim- minimalizing it uh, in in width and uh, to make it. But but honestly, it it really doesn't because you've got the you know the clip and the arm that goes down in there and all that. So you might as well get a, a holster that's decent and one that's protecting of that trigger. And there's so, multiple holsters that are out there that uh, do. A, a similar thing mm-hmm. while they cover the trigger guard. And, and whether you're talking about a Q-series from uh, Gary Quisenberry um, or you're looking at Dale Fricke's, uh, I can't remember what it's called off the, the top of my head, but uh, he's got a little trigger guard cover. Um, or you're looking at uh, the the holster from Raven Concealments that does the same thing. They all do it with while they cover the trigger guard, mm-hmm. therefore you know keeping you safe. And if you want to have that gun right against your skin, great, do it. But yeah. cover the trigger guard. Yeah, yeah, I agreed definitely. Okay, so you know, sorry, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Just what? say no. Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, so anyway, um, not not to make fun. I mean, you know, we're just having a good time kicking around all. But it seriously though, that's right. That trigger guard, you gotta gotta keep that thing clear. Absolutely. Even clear. if you have a manual safety, I think it's a good idea. Absolutely, definitely. Absolutely. Moving along, Paul. Out of Richfield, I guess Wisconsin, um, asks, well, says, I'm listening to a bunch of old podcasts and really enjoying them. I like Paul Carlson as an addition as well. What is going on here? <laughs> well, next, you know, I'll be out of the beard. In a foreign country. It's the beard. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. I just, I know it. Well, he, he's got the beard. Yeah, it's the beard. He's ready to go. Yeah. Um, it says, hey, in some of the old podcasts, I hear you are a purveyor of Taurus firearms, and lately, I kind of get the feeling that you're making light of them. Uh, that would be making fun of them. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, my question is, have you ever done a podcast on the Taurus guns that you have liked? Uh, they make a 9mm slim that looks like something I would buy in a snap if it were made by most other firearms companies, but I'm a little... Leery of the Taurus, even though I had a 92 20 years ago, and it did just fine. Any other thoughts or recommendations would be super. Thanks again, Paul. Um, thanks for writing in, Paul. Um, yeah, I've got a, a few of them. I don't really shoot them. And, you know, I'm not going to knock anybody that has them. I mean, they're and, – and Grant, Paul, you guys, um, I'm sure, see people come occasionally through maybe with them. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Yeah, just occasionally. Um, I I don't see them very often anymore, and uh, I'm not I'm not exactly sure why that is. I I'd have to agree. I don't see very many people, at least not in my classes, using them. I do, however, one of the local instructors who teaches a the very basic 
concealed weapon class here does see more of them than I do. And I've certainly been been observing his classes when I have seen Taurus firearms there. And that's really the, the only place that I see them is at that sort of beginner level. And I also see them malfunctioning a whole lot. And that mm-hmm. that's the problem. One of the things right. that bothers me about Taurus is that they produce some things that are actually conceptually very attractive that I would really like to own if it weren't for the fact that I know that they will have issues. And this goes for both their revolvers and their their auto-loading pistols. And that's the issue that I have with Taurus. There are a lot of guns that Taurus has made that I would really like to Mm -hmm. like, but you just can. And I do have some experience with Taurus. I actually have two Taurus guns in the safe right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're staying there because I have de- deemed them unsafe to shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to agree. I mean, the the ones I have... Uh, now, I've got a, um, a revolver. Uh, when the M44, and I've told this story before, I'll keep it brief, but uh, when the M44 came out, um, you know, I, I was like, oh, a Taurus, uh, you know, and one of the guys that I knew said, well, you know, why don't you, do you have one? I said, no, I don't. I've shot them, but I don't have one. And he said, well, how can you talk about it? And, you know, hey, that's right. So I went and bought one. And, uh, you know, it was it was not that expensive. And um, I, I took that gun. It was the, uh, I still got it. I hadn't had it out in decades but um, uh, the M44, and it was the uh, stainless steel. It has the um, six-and-a-half-inch barrel with a half-inch overbore for the compensator, compensation. And it's got, uh, you know, so it's 44 Magnum. And so, <clears throat> uh, you know, I bought that. And honestly, I mean, I'll be quite honest with you. It was accurate. <laughs> it was really quite accurate. Now, that being said, uh, when you have the hammer down and it's locked up, you can wiggle the heck out of that cylinder, and I'm not real happy about that. Um, when you, you know, charge the hammer back, and still there's some give in there. I don't know. I'm just not. It's handled a lot of heavy stuff put through it, but I just, I don't know. You know, the uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. There are two guns, two revolvers, actually, from Taurus that I really wanted to like. One mm-hmm. of them was the Tor. I think it was the 445, which was the five-shot 44 special with the, yes. on the small frame with the short barrel. Right. I really wanted to like that gun. Mine was who could not reliably ignite rounds mm-hmm. after being sent back to Taurus. <clears throat> and at, even after I worked on it for, for quite a while and put in a lot of time at it, and it's still not reliable. Mm. Um, so I really wanted to like that gun, but... It just didn't work. The other one was, and I cannot remember the the model number of this one. It's, I believe, been discontinued. But it is their six shot thirty eight special on the small frame, which is it's basically kind of a replacement for the detective special. Mm-hmm. It's about that size, and I really was excited about that gun when they introduced it, and I ordered up a couple of them, and both of them out of the box had serious timing problems. And, yeah. I mean, to the point that they were unsafe to shoot, yeah. uh, and it. I managed to to get rid of one of them. The other one's still in the safe. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it's it, it's a company that I would, uh, if they got their QC, their quality control together, I think they've got some great ideas. I think they come out with some some neat stuff that I would buy. Like the if, view. No, not that. One. <laughs> but other than that, 
<laughs> you know, they do come out with some stuff occasionally. They and, really uh, do. They really and do. Yeah. So, I, and, and that's I, it's a love hate affair. Uh, uh, Bob was it? Bob Morrison was the. Um, mm-hmm. He was the guy that that uh, worked at Cult and came over and. Uh, at, I guess he's not there now, but while he was there, uh, you know, they were they were coming through with some really wild ideas. Um, I think they came out with a uh, we're, we're going to they were teasing coming out with a revolver that would shoot. Okay, let me see if I get this right. Of course, a thirty eight three fifty seven Magnum, but also I think would shoot like the nine millimeter or the thirty eight super or both of those or something. Yeah, and you know. It was like, they called it the triad, if I'm not mistaken. Of course, they never came out with it. They teased the heck out of it. And then, of course, they had their pictures, as they normally do, and uh, uh, caught hold of those and, and whatnot. But you never saw it. And then, of course, you know, they were, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the first, not the first, but they were, I guess, the first one to go into production with that, uh, the judge. And, of course, we joke <laughs> about that a lot. But, I mean... It, Honestly, though, that's a that's a unique thing. It's not something that I particularly want to own. It's novel, um, but it, it it is. I mean, you know, uh, strange and unusual. Something that and it's selling. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, for for personal defense and and the like. No, I I would never recommend something like that, as I know you guys would never do as well. But um, uh, you know, for fun. I mean, if you want it, you know, that's hey. Uh, I've got a buddy that's got one. He loves to go out and shoot clay with it, you know. And it's kind of weird watching him shoot clay with a, with a revolver. I mean, it's it's a strange sight. But um, but yeah, you're right. Even even also, I think you know during Bob's uh, tenure there, you know they came out with that uh, what was it the Millennium uh, mm-hmm. series of the handguns, which started really kind of getting into the. Uh, I guess the concealed carry with like big capacity, you know, well, I say big, but big at the time, so to speak, uh, when you're limited to like 10 shots, you know, uh, they started cramming those in nine millimeter and 40 and all. And the, the dimensions of that firearm, the original one, I, I, I've, I've actually got one of those actually are not bad dimensions. I'll say that every time it was shot, I had to put the pins back in there. (laughs) But, but, you know, I mean, they start kind of working their way out. I'm I'm not real happy about that. I never had the gun lay down, though. Which is not to say, though, that the next time I pull the trigger, it's not going to just, like, vaporize. But, um... And, and, and that's and, my that's my issue with the yeah. guns is I just don't have the confidence level in them. That's you know, that's the only a, issue. Yeah, I had a forty four Magnum. What was it? A tracker? Maybe it was. Mm-hmm. Is that the right yeah. name? Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was going up to Alaska to spend a month up there fishing, and you know, so I bought a Taurus tracker before I left for the trip. I sold it and got a Remington. Uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> sorry that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, guys. <laughs> nice that. trade, bud. Okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> But anyway, so it, but here lately, our us making light of Taurus is basically because I mean, you know, look, Lexan on a teeny, teeny, tiny, virtually no grip existing, you know, hey, nine plus B thirty eight. To be fair, we did say some nice things about the Taurus curve. I think all of us we did. did. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we you know, did. we're we're not. It's not that we're anti Taurus. It's just that. We've been so disappointed by them in the past that it's really hard to to not be be jaded about it. I think that's probably the best way. Yeah, to do it. and on top of that, their customer service—at least I don't know about now, 
But up to just maybe five years ago, I've had friends that have had them <clears throat> that have had issues. It, well, every friend I've had that's got them have had <laughs> issues. And they come to me saying, what do I need to do? And I said, okay, so, you know, Ruger makes this. Smith & Wesson makes this. But what, what they did was, so, no, you know, I'm having issues with their customer service. I've sent the gun back. And, and like, for instance, there's uh, one of my friends has got a... Um, I guess it's still a PT-111. It's the Millennium Pro Gen whatever. Uh, and he, he took it, and, you know, the magazine kept falling out. Every time he'd fire it, it just fell out. He'd take a shot, boop, it hit the ground. He's like, well, you can't have that, no. So, you know, he sends it back. <clears throat> they ev- uh, supposedly shoot it and then send it back to him, and so we found nothing. Well, you know, he takes it out and shoots it the first time. Boop, magazine falls out. Of course, they're starting to blame him, customer service blaming him with, well, you know, somehow maybe, you know, your hand is large or small or either one or whatever, and, and um, you know, you're pressing the uh, magazine release. That's what it is. And he, he shot it, and then after he shot it, he looked down, and, you know, his hand's not even touching the magazine release. So it's like, uh, no. Well, he, I don't know. I, I think he finally gave up and just got rid of the thing, um, which is another thing. I mean, do you feel good about selling something to somebody knowing what the situation is So you know, with it? But anyway, he had problems with the customer service. I've had uh, other people talk to me about that as well. So, you know, I'm not trying to give them a – I mean, if, they, if they've got something that's <clears throat> really, you know, reliable – and something you could have confidence in. I mean, you know, like you say, they they actually come out more so than anybody with with new interesting things. I guess, like the curve, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you know, that's 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 out of the box thinking, and that's that's kind of what we need. I mean, it's some out of the box thinking, and uh, uh, I'd like to see more of that. But I guess, like you say, with the quality issue or whatever, I, I will say on the other side, I have had known people that have had them and swore by them and they never had any issues with them at all so i don't know i guess mileage may vary but for me and what i've seen through it i'd I'd prefer to invest my hard-earned money in something that's been proven and sells like mass quantities and has good customer service even if it costs a little bit more Mm -hmm. you know so so now that we've uh, angered every Taurus fan that we have, what's next? <laughs> yeah, please don't go away, please. They do work sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next, next. Okay, let's uh, let's play a couple of voicemails. I like voicemails. Uh, here's one. Hi, Doc Wesson and Gun Nation. This is uh, Nate from Minnesota calling. I have been looking at purchasing a concealed carry gun because I've I do not like subcompact or sub-carry guns. The only guns that I find very comfortable are larger, like 1911-style, I guess, pistols, such as any of the Kunans. I've been shooting the Kunans, uh, which are my father's, since I was 12. I'm very comfortable with them, but it's time for me to buy a pistol and carry of my own. And right now I am kind of up against the wall of buying a new Kunan because we have the old Model A and Model B before they closed down and now since they've reopened, I don't know if I should get the new one or if I should get 
another gun that I have been looking at and seem to pretty much really really like right now, especially for the price, is the new the new release of the uh, Yugoslavian M57 uh, Toprev in 7.62. So uh, yeah, if I would, so I could hear your guys' opinion on larger caliber pistols for carry versus subcompact guns on comfort, I guess. Uh, in an upcoming podcast, that would be great. I would really love to hear it. And uh, keep up the good work. This is a really great podcast. It's been a joy listening to you guys. Thank you. Bye. Well, obviously, we appreciate you sending in that, um, calling in. I like the voicemail. Tokarev is not one that you hear very often. Yeah, that really is not. <laughs> when I first heard that, I was like, say what? <laughs> I, uh, the answer to that specific question, I think, is a pretty easy one. Mm-hmm. And that would be Tokarev. The Tokarev is a high-quality, proven design, although it may not be ideal for concealed carry. <laughs> I would be very concerned about the reliability of a Kunin. Well, we we did talk about the the, the Kunin before, um, and the fact that, and again, I've shot the Model Bs, and and you know, I guess it was like last, maybe it was last episode we had we talked about them, and uh, I think Joe was saying he wanted to get one uh, next time it came through the shop where he works. He was going to get one and fire it. But uh, my personal opinion is the ones that I have shot weren't they weren't reliable. I mean, you get it to fire. Now, to be fair, um, it was a Model B, and it was, you know, back when they first came out. So I've not shot any of the newer ones. Uh, I do not know about that. But once again, you know, 357 Magnum uh, in, in that. I, there's so many other guns out there that are reliable and less expensive. Um, you could probably buy about six Tokarevs for the price of one of them. <laughs> uh, probably more. But <laughs> what I will do is defer completely to the two gentlemen that are instructors here, because that there's, is their speciality. So uh, why don't we start with uh, Paul? Well, awesome. Interestingly enough, I have zero experience with the uh, Kunan Conan versions of handguns that are out there. Um, not my uh, not my wheelhouse at all. Uh, when I talk about defensive firearms, we're looking for something that's going to be efficient, something that's going to work every time. Reliability, as you mentioned, is just going to be absolutely paramount, Doc. We've, when it's time to fire that handgun, it needs to fire. Um, we're also going to be looking for something that's going to be able to uh, easily manage recoil, not going to have extra buttons and levers that are going to make it too complicated. And the 1911 pattern guns um, don't necessarily fit into that realm. The other thing I think is important to think about is a large gun doesn't have to be a large caliber gun. And that was specifically mentioned in the voicemail. You know, I'm more comfortable with the larger, large caliber guns. But, you know, 9mm in 2015 chamberings, uh, you know, the, the bullets that are manufactured today is an outstanding performer, and there's very little difference in medical damage between one 9mm and one 357, They do just about the same amount of damage. And so for that reason, if you like larger guns, find a simple-to-operate larger 9mm handgun, whether it's a Steyr or a Glock, or or an XD, or a, a M&P. If you're talking about a concealed carry gun, you don't need to find something that you love. 
that that you're passionate about, that you're excited about, that has more style than everybody else, you need to find something that's going to work. And that's Wait my suggestion. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You don't need to have a cooler gun than everyone else. My <laughs> whole theory has gone to crap. No. <laughs> what are we going to do, Ian? <laughs> You'll I'm have your say, sir. Some, and I'm going to go back to carrying my Dreisie. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Man. Okay. All right, Grant, you're next. <laughs> well, it, I, I find actually his choice of uh, of guns to be interesting because he's chosen two very, very different price points mm-hmm. in firearms. Oh, uh, boy. One of yeah. them, the Kunans are extremely ex- expensive, and the, the new Tokarevs, which are I think are labeled Zastavas, yep. um, are cheap. Um, so that, 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 it's kind of interesting that you've got two very different price points there. Um, what I would say is that I would echo Paul's comments. Think in terms of the caliber that you're going to uh, that you're going to be using, uh, and and pick a good defensive caliber. And that means one without excessive recoil. Means one that's that does have uh, a good terminal effect. In any of the major rounds between nine millimeter and. 357, based upon the best data that we have, which comes from Greg Elifritz, uh, there's very little difference, statistically speaking, in terms of their effect on an attacker. Now, it's interesting that he talks about the the Model 57 because it's chambered as 7.62 by 25 uh, Tokarev, which is not a particularly good self-defense round. First mm-hmm. of all, of course, it's very hard to find defensive ammunition mm-hmm. in that caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has no track record in terms of uh, its effect on actual people. Now, I know a lot of guys on the Internet will talk about, oh, it's got all kinds of energy and energy dump and that kind of thing. That's all nonsense. Don't pay attention to that. Um, and instead go with something that we know from empirical evidence works, and that's realistically 9 millimeter, 40, 45, 357, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The problem with the 357, and this is true in a revolver as well as in an automatic, is that the recoil and and which affects your ability to deliver follow-up shots from that first one to the second or from the second to the third, your ability to deliver follow-up shots is much diminished because of the increased recoil of the gun. That's not a, a round that I picked for self-defense. Even in my revolvers, in my 357 revolvers, I do not carry 357 in them because of that. Mm-hmm. So that would be uh, that would be a no-go in, in my book. And finally, in terms of the Kunan as a defensive arm, they're fun to shoot. I certainly shot them, but reliability, uh, as as Paul said, is absolutely paramount. And I have not seen a Kunan that I would trust. Now, yeah, you can go out and shoot, you know, twenty five or fifty rounds, and it works just fine. But the benchmark for testing a defensive gun is a minimum of two hundred rounds in a session, without mm-hmm. cleaning, without oiling, all that sort of thing. And I would prefer to see five hundred in a session. Mm-hmm. If a gun can make it through a five hundred round day of of good solid training, then it's probably reliable enough for defensive use. I would be willing to bet that there isn't a Kunin out there that will do that. That's some excellent information. So uh, uh, yeah. I I I'd say uh, Iaco Paul's uh, you know the the Smith and Wesson M&P Glock uh, the XDs the Stiers, uh 
um, <laughs> any of those would be fine. Yeah. Uh, rather than trying to shoehorn a gun in that uh, that that really is suboptimal in just about every category. Yeah. I I do. I kind of am. Uh, I guess impressed or. It impresses me when he said that he's more comfortable with the larger frames, uh, the larger guns. Because um, a lot of people, I think, immediately, like people at work I talk with, they'll come to me and say, what do you, what do you think? I want to start con- carrying concealed. And obviously we know about that. You know, yeah, you need to go shoot many things, decide what you are comfortable with and, and you know, the whole thing there. But... Um, a lot of times, though, they're looking at some of the smallest stuff that they can get. And it's like, um, <clears throat> you know, I always say to them, look, don't count out some of the, the things that have more of a medium frame or or the like. Because, you know, you may like that. Try try all of these things. Because, um, obviously, we're talking about, uh, you know, the recoil of uh, you know, three fifty seven Magnum. Uh, as as Grant just said, versus like the 38 plus P's, and um, with a larger gun, you know that helps as far as a recoil goes. So you combine that with like what these two guys are saying with a nine millimeter here, and that's going to you know really reduce what you're going to feel uh, in recoil and uh, report there. So I think that uh, you know it's interesting that he's going that route, and I'm glad he you know has identified that. Um, you know, to be able to identify that for himself. But yeah, yeah. I, um, the Coonans, I mean, that's, I'd love to have one just for fun, without a doubt. Uh, I think that'd be a, a blast. I'm not paying that kind of money, though. I thought that was going to be our Christmas bonus, Doc. I, yeah. Well, I, I bought them, but they didn't work. No. <laughs> it's a joke. Now, I, I must I must say that that since he's he's talking about buying a gun and he was talking about buying a Kunan, which is an expensive gun. Yeah. If he goes out and buys one of the guns that, that we recommended, he'll have plenty of money left over the different cost differential between that gun and the Kunan mm-hmm. that he can also buy one of the the uh, the model 57s which he should anyway because if you ever want to have a lot of fun go to an indoor range with that 7.62 by 25 toke rev turn yeah. out the lights and start shooting <laughs> yeah see the it fireball is, it is just more fun so <laughs> you fun. should have one of those anyway yeah but just don't care for self defense they're fun they are fun oh they're uh, they, uh, huge... and they can also be purchased in nine uh, parabellum Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that's kind of like why? Well, because uh, you went and badmouthed the Tokarev cartridge. That <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. You know what? No, if you're planning I, on shooting a lot of Nazis, there is not a caliber with a better track record than. <laughs> <laughs> well, they. I have to say, and those are zippy. Those things are zippy. They're fast. Um, you know, the FN five seven came out, and everybody talked about. Oh, you know, this will. The, the speed of these things, and they'll zip through these, you know, uh, bulletproof vests and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know, you look at the math, basically the Takarov, the 762, is <laughs> it's actually a little bit better in some cases. So, But, you know, keep that out of your mind. They're just fun. They're a lot of fun to shoot, and, uh, yeah, they are zippy. There's no doubt about that. You, See what, you bring up an important point right there, Doc, is there's we just have to accept the fact there's a difference between guns that are for fun or for show mm-hmm. or for collection and guns that are for defense, and that's it's so hard to separate that, and I've been there. You know, I was yeah. for years a diehard 1911 guy, mm-hmm. and and people would now be 
you know, surprised at the number of 1911s that are in my safe because I, I talk poorly of the 1911. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I love to collect guns. Mm-hmm. And I love to collect the 1911. It but is I'm a sickness. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, right. But I I'm not going to carry one to protect my family. Exactly. I can't believe that I actually slept in his house. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, just one other interesting point. I'm sure Paul can't believe it either. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, Ian. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I did have the opportunity once we were just tinkering around, and we ran a box or two of 763 Mauser uh, mm-hmm. commercial ammo through a uh, Romanian Tokrev with no trouble whatsoever. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I suspect that they'll run just fine on any 7.63 Mauser ammo. Good info. So, yeah. And it makes and it a little handier to shoot. There's a little less recoil from it. Very cool. Well, sum, summarizing, go out there and get something that's proven and that's basically meant for concealed carry or for defense and both. Yeah, um, I would I would say, come on, this is your life. Yeah. Do you really want to trust it to something that is unproven and suboptimal? Right. And I, I would say no. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and also to add to that, the other two are really fun, really fun. Yeah. So anyway, but but we really appreciate you sending that in. Now here is the last voicemail, and then we're going to get on with the show. Doc and the Good Nation crew, thank you for your show. I appreciate it and I love it. Uh, one little comment I wanted to make to hear y'all touch on in regards to uh, thumb safeties, as y'all have uh, discussed this quite a bit lately, is that uh, one thing I've seen through IDPA and other competitions is that I encourage people that if you are going to have firearms with thumb safeties, that all your firearms should be exactly the same. Some firearms, for example, I know for myself, where I used to have a 1911, where you flip down to fire, and then you have maybe a Ruger uh, P90 where you flip up to fire. Training with both of those created lots of uh, training scars, and I've seen that amongst a lot of folks. So I really encourage folks that if you do have firearms with safeties, they should all either be a flip down or a flip up. Obviously, I'm much more a, a fan of things such as a PBQ, which doesn't use a safety. But just want to make that comment. Thank you. Bye. Good point. You know, consistency consistency is really important. Yeah. And one of the uh, when I was back in my competition days, when I was shooting uh, single action guns, and I started with with 1911s, and then went to for a brief period of time with Browning high powers, and ended up with CZ 75 pattern guns. Um, and at the same time, I was shooting revolvers in competition. I found that that was sometimes an issue because even as much as I had trained flipping off the safety. I mean, I had thousands and thousands of reps in lots and lots of rounds downrange. I was competing with these things at least twice a month. And I occasionally would forget to, when I drew the gun to, to flip the safety off because I was shooting guns that didn't require that all the time. And so I made the decision at that point that all of my guns would be firearms that I did not have to manipulate other than pulling the trigger in order to fire. Mm-hmm. So along with my revolvers, I ended up with, with Glocks and with Steyrs and uh, guns like that that did not require any sort of manipulation or external safety. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, but, and what I do is limit what I have that I actually carry um to things that have no thumb safety except for that sr9c that i had been carrying <laughs> because i wanted to, to to you know 
carry it. I really want to give that thing the ringer, you know, uh, shoot it and all that. And we're anxiously awaiting Ruger to drop that thumb safety on that one, and that will be the next purchase I have if they go ahead and do that. Um, so that that's I think it's a very good point. I mean, because you know, it's like you said, Grant, in the past, it's efficiency. Um, that's a paramount here, and it's <clears throat> where you you know. Uh, get to it you don't you have minimum amount of movements to get to where you need to be on that so paul you have anything yeah Yeah. i was just going to say with that consistency it's it's having the same movements in the same order Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the same place in the same manner and that's what helps us to be efficient you know if we can find that set of skills that works in a lot of different ways and then we can choose firearms that only require a small number of skills and we execute them the same way with each firearm that's awesome. That's the way we want to be. Um, we don't want consistency for consistency's sake, but when it applies and, and when it makes us more easily able to respond in that life or death situation, that's exactly what we're looking for. Yep. Well said. Well said. And we appreciate everybody sending in their emails, their feedback on uh, Facebook as well, and their voicemails. I particularly like the voicemail because I don't have to read it. <laughs> but uh, Ian... Uh. You, you, sir, <laughs> wake up. You, sir, <clears throat> are going to be discussing a revolver. And I know it's not a new one. <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> so I was doing some research online today. Um, I'm going to be going to Rock Island again to look at some of their auctioning guns. And I, this was one that had kind of jumped out at me. And so I was trying to find out a little bit more about it and discovered it was actually even more interesting than I was expecting. It is specifically a Moore's patent revolver, M-O-O-R-E, and turns out uh, manufactured starting in 1860, and they were actually the first swing-out cylinder revolver ever manufactured. Um, Most people are going to think about swing-out cylinders as being like 1890s, probably. But uh, yeah, lo and behold, 1860, uh, Mr. Moore figured this concept out, and actually turned out to be one of the more practical, no pun intended, uh, revolvers of that time frame. It was a seven-shot, 32 rimfire, and he was smart enough to use the exact same rimfire cartridge that Smith & Wesson was using at the time. So you have ammo interchangeability in, a, day, in a, a period where you had a lot of weird proprietary ammo being designed and used. And what's kind of interesting is that this revolver has an ejector rod. It doesn't have a a center ejector. That hadn't been invented yet. Um, But it has no loading gate. And what happens, there's a little catch on the back of the frame. And you you push in that catch. And then the cylinder and barrel and ejector rod as a complete assembly tilts out to the right of the, the frame. And it doesn't actually go all that far. It just goes far enough to clear two or three of the... The, the cylinder uh, of the chambers that are on that one side. And you can then use the ejector rod to pop all the cases out and then reload it. And then you snap the whole cylinder and barrel assembly back in line with uh, the hammer and the rest of the frame. And you can go on shooting. Um, in, an, in another mark of old timiness, these were actually being manufactured in the city of Brooklyn, which I don't think they allow anymore. <laughs> and, uh, turned out to actually be rather popular revolvers, especially with um, New York State servicemen. So this, of course, was right at the beginning of the Civil War, uh, 1860. And like I said, it was a fairly popular revolver for New Yorkers to buy and take with them 
when they went off to war. There was one minor problem with it uh, in a legal sense, and that is that it blatantly and in thorough immorality violated Rollin White's patent. Uh, Rollin White, this is, there's this cool little footnote in history. Rollin White happened to be the dude who came, first came up with the idea of drilling a revolver cylinder clear through from one end to the other so that you had a, a cylindrical hole all the way through the cylinder um, to make your chambers. This was a novel idea when Rollin White came up with it, um, which would have been, I should have looked this up, uh, late 1850s, I believe. Um, this was a novel idea because at the time, what you had were pretty much all cap and ball muzzle-loading revolvers where you didn't want the the back end of the cylinder to be open. You wanted it closed so that you just have enough space to put in a, a nipple and a percussion cap. Um, what White actually came up with was this idea that you could drill them through as a way to simplify the manufacturing process. He offered it to Colt. Colt looked at it and went, yeah, we don't really see any advantage to this, so we're not interested. Um, the people who then actually figured out the advantage to using it were Smith & Wesson, or Daniel Wesson specifically. Uh, he came up with rimfire 22 ammunition, and then, of course, to use a rimfire cartridge, you want to load from the back of the cylinder. And when he went to patent that idea, it turned out Rollin White had already done it. So Smith & Wesson approached White, bought all the rights to the patent, and for about the next 10 years, they became the only people who were legally able to drill clean through a revolver cylinder. Um, and this is just at the time when self-contained cartridges are starting to make their appearance in the market. And everybody has to – if you can't drill all the way through the cylinder, you have to come up with some really goofy workarounds and clutches to try and figure out how to use a self-contained cartridge with a cylinder that's not open at the back. Um, Moore's patent revolver uh, solved this problem by simply ignoring the patent, and that worked for about 8,000 guns worth uh, until 1862 when Smith & Wesson, uh, in a cavalcade of lawsuits, uh, nailed him and among a bunch of other people for violating their patent. Uh, they, of course, won the court case. Uh, Moore had to stop making the guns. He, in fact, had to – I'm not entirely clear. He either had to turn over or agreed to sell about 3,000 of his – revolvers to Smith & Wesson, uh, who could then go and do whatever they wanted. Um, and in a little bit of extra kind of tweaking the thumb in his eye, they the, those guns he had to roll stamp with manufactured for Smith & Wesson by Moore's Firearm Company. So he was effectively put out of that business uh, through patent lawsuits. Uh, what's kind of interesting about Moore is that he that didn't stop him. He went on to actually invent a new type of of a self-contained cartridge called the teat fire that was specifically designed to use in cylinders that were only bored through from the front. Um, kind of funky. They have, you almost have a cylinder shaped the same way as a muzzle loading cap and ball cylinder where it's bore diameter at the front, but then at the back of the cylinder, it just has this little much smaller hole. And the cartridge that these things used was, um, the, think about it where you have a cartridge that's like a, a long uh, drinking glass. The, the front end is open, um, and that's where the bullet sits. And then at the very bottom was this rounded teat that would stick through the little hole in the back of the cylinder, and, and the hammer would hit that and fire it. Uh, it was about the most popular of the kind of weird, kludgy cartridges that were designed in this time frame. Um, and the biggest problem with it was that if you 
let a lot of fouling get into the cylinder, it would obstruct the hole at the bottom, and they ended up with a string of accidents of people trying to shove these cartridges into a dirty cylinder uh, where they'd get jammed up and you'd push harder, and then you'd actually accidentally manage to detonate the primer and shoot your finger off in the process. Uh, Use a bigger hammer, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so by 1870, Roland White's patent finally expired. Uh, it's interesting that uh, White himself actually appealed to no less than the president of the U.S. for an extension to his patent, claiming he hadn't made sufficient money from it. And the president personally vetoed that that request, um, having seen that this, this patent had, in fact, dramatically held back firearms development in the U.S. for about 10 years. Uh, by preventing people from from doing the one really obvious and necessary thing to make modern revolvers, so the the cool side effect of it was that creativity being what it is in human beings, there were an awful lot of very funky uh, workarounds made during that time, and they make for really neat study today. The uh, the Moore saga is really a soap opera in firearms history because in fact Moore and White both are are kind of a, a soap opera because they had this intersection what's interesting is that the uh, Roland White's patent which he licensed to Smith and Wesson he didn't bother to read the fine print and the fine print said um oh by the way if anybody infringes on this patent that we're using you're the one who has to defend it so Roland White is the guy who actually had to go out and sue all of these people on behalf of Smith & Wesson, which is kind of odd. And yes. one of the people, of course, he sued was was Moore, and he won. The ironic thing about this this whole thing is that the the – and the reason he appealed to the president was because all of the money that he made in royalties was eaten up in the legal fees he incurred yep. – to defend these royalties, so this is this is why he wanted it extended because he thought right. if it got extended, he could actually maybe make some money on it. More Smith and Wesson made a killing on it. Though. Smith and Wesson made a killing because they didn't have to put up any money to defend this. And companies like Moore's, when they finally went under, Smith and Wesson was able to to swoop in and scoop up stuff for nothing. And Moore was not the only company that they did this with. Yeah. The, Rollin White died, uh, I wouldn't say penniless, but he was not a wealthy man when he died. No. Um, Moore, on the other hand, because of some of the other things that he did, some of the other inventions, he actually ended up selling his company to Colt, which yep. was Rollin White's old employer. <laughs> And uh, he actually he actually died reasonably well off, despite all of this. It's it, it's a fascinating story. The guns were interesting, and it, it was a great period in uh, American firearms development. Just from the sheer inventiveness of people trying to get around this white this this white patent that was driving white into bankruptcy. Yep, exactly. Very cool. I'm sure that you could make a really good movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, thank goodness for the swing out cylinder. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah on that. <coughs> no matter, you know, what the uh, whole story was. But, God, man, that's that's real interesting, though, um, to know, hear one, all that history. The one other kind of funny side note to this is, you know, it's a swing out cylinder, but really not in the same way that we think of them today, because it is the whole barrel assembly that's that's pivoting. And there's only one revolver that I've had any experience <laughs> with 
that's more relatively modern that works the same way. And it's actually a kid's revolver that was made by Savage, the Model 101. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you familiar with those, Grant? Yeah, I have. I've never actually held one. I've only seen pictures of them. It's a, a little tiny kid's size. So it's like a three-quarter size single action army. Um, it's actually a single shot revolver. And the whole cylinder and barrel assembly tilts to the side to load and eject uh, a chamber straight into the barrel. And the whole cylinder is a dummy. It's got fake bullets in the front, so it looks like a loaded six-shooter. But it's actually a single-shot twenty-two rimfire revolver. And that tip-out mechanism on it is works just the same way as Morse. Cool. In fact, Colt made something uh, very similar and I'm spacing on the name of it right now, uh, but they made something very similar. It had a a flat, what amounted to a flat cylinder that was permanently attached to the barrel that would swing mm. out of the frame. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm spacing so their, on the name here. One of their target guns. It was a target gun, and okay. um, gosh, uh, if I had my Colt book in front of me, I would look it up, but I don't. Um, so Colt had done something similar to that. Um, in all oh, this, this would have been the 1920s, something like that. Okay. Yeah. I, in fact, I believe, uh, I believe it may have been called the Camp Perry model. Okay. I think Webley made some, some flat cylinder one shot models like that as well. In fact, it was the Colt Camp Perry. That is in fact the name of it. Okay. Cool. Well, for folks who are interested in Moore's revolver specifically, I will be doing a video on one at Rock Island that will be coming out in a couple awesome. of Awesome. That'll be neat. I've I'm never loving your videos, man. <laughs> you know, I'm watching this cool video on a, a, a Savage SP-101 right now with this guy with long hair. It's pretty awesome. That's a cool little gun. Yeah, isn't that neat? <laughs> Looks like a good video, too. I might come back and check it out later. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about this. You the, should share oh, that on Facebook, Paul. Forgotten, forgotten weapons. I think it's yeah. <laughs> Dot com. Clearly, clearly an amateur. <laughs> yeah, clearly. You know, it's kind of funny when I first looked at this lot because this more revolver is part of a four pistol lot. And when I looked at it at first, what I saw was one interesting, unusual revolver, and then four of these, I don't know, whatever, the little derringery revolver things, like Smith & Wesson Model 1s or 2s or something <laughs> like that. And it was only after I did this research and came back and looked at the picture again that I realized that uh, all three of the other guns in the lot are actually more manufactured teat fire thirty two revolvers. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, man, that was I did not know all this. Um, Have we nerded out enough for the evening? I'm loving it. <laughs> I am loving it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, you, you know, you mentioned patents. <clears throat> I wanted to mention that Steve over at the Firearms blog, the Firearm blog, excuse me, um, has now started a new blog called the Firearm blog patent blog. Now, this is cool. Because what he does is he actually lists patents as they it looks like as they come out uh, for new firearms as, and, and and you know you can go and look at those. Uh, it looks like patents that um, have been applied for. So you you actually get to go and see uh, you know uh, what's going on in the firearm world before it happens is what it looks like. Looks like he's got some here that are a little a uh, little bit older too. But if you go to the firearmblog.com, uh, I think there's a link to it direct, but the, the direct 
web address is thefireonblog.com forward slash blog forward, forward slash patents. So um, really cool, man. That I need to invent something as far as a gun goes so I can get a patent on that and he can put it up there. I'm working on it, man. I have patents. Do you? Yeah, sure, oh yeah, sure do. Not in guns. You got a though. good. You got a good patent attorney. I need one. I got many of them actually. Oh, Let me tell we'll you, talk. that is that is no that is no small feat to put a patent together. Let me tell you right now, <laughs> it is no small feat. It costs money look- and it's ugh, it is a mess. I'm not looking forward to it. No, but it's, I, it's no fun. I know in my agreement, whoever I sell the patent to will have to defend it for me. I just learned that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're very good. You're smart about that. Very good. But yeah, so so go over to uh, the Fire and Blog. We like, and I get a lot of information and, and read the Fire and Blog a lot. I think you guys do too. Don't I think uh, you posted something recently, uh, Grant, on uh, something yeah, they there, had. There are a few blogs in the firearm world that that people everybody should read. Of course, everybody should be reading Forgotten Weapons, and uh, and the Firearm Blog are, are two of my favorites. Yeah, and and two of my favorites are GrantCunningham.com's blogs. There you go. <laughs> the what is it? The uh, Revolver. Uh, what is it? Liberate. What was it? How's it yeah, called? Revolver Liberation yeah. Alliance. Yeah, I love that. I can't say it, but yeah. And then uh, of course the personal personal security. Did I say that right? PersonalSecurity.us, yes, yeah, absolutely. Awesomeness. And then, of course, love to go over. Of course, we mentioned the uh, uh, stuff uh, with uh, Ian there, uh, ForgottenWeapons.com. That's a no-brainer. But also a no-brainer is personal. Uh, not I said personal security, but I actually am trying to say, I should say, um, uh, Paul Carlson at uh, Safety Solutions Academy. He's got some good stuff over there, too. And I update it, you know. I know. I know. I like that. I like that. But anyway, um, so yeah, check that out. <clears throat> hey, guys, coming up, <clears throat> we've got the SHOT Show. And uh, there's some new stuff coming out. I recently have seen that Ruger is introducing the GP100 Match Champion Revolver that's got adjustable sights coming out. Um, looks like kind of a, is that like a slab side barrel? Yeah, they, they it's basically the same as their previous match champion they've taken a slab side of barrel and mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing and instead of the silly novak sights they put on the original match champion which <laughs> proved to be a serious issue mm-hmm. they put a standard ruger adjustable rear sight on it which is a much better choice if you're talking a match gun the the problem with the novak sights is they they didn't seem to hit the point of aim with any known ammo. And uh, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't consistent. One guy would get one that said, oh, yeah, this is great. It shoots to point of aim. Another guy would be high right, and the guy would be low left. And Masad Ayub tested, I think, three or four of the things and never oh. did find one that would that would shoot to point of aim. So serious issues with that. And and for a match gun, that's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So they did the what they should have done the first time and put an adjustable rear sight on it. It is the standard Ruger rear sight, which is a little it's a little sloppy. Yeah. And so if someone were really serious about using this thing in competition, the first thing that they should do is just pop out that Ruger rear sight and and put in a Hamilton Bowen Rough Country rear sight into it, which is a much much better sight. It locks down perfectly solidly. It will not move, and they're they're just a great product. And I think after you do that, the the at, they hone the the action at the factory. So supposedly the trigger pulls are pretty good. Uh, they chamfered the cylinder, fi- the chambers finally. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it'll make a really good, say, IDPA gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe Steel Challenge or something in the in the production class. So I think finally they got it right this time. I think this is the gun they should have made the first time. Excellent. Uh, got those uh, Hoag stippled hardware yeah. grips on it too. Yeah, yeah, they've got those. <laughs> Not, not happy about that, huh? Not happy about that. Well, you know, you can always change those out. That's that's it. That's the first. I would have to because I can't reach the trigger. With I'm the with you. I got the small hands, so yeah, that's going to be a problem for me too. Um, Any part of that uh, see-through on that Ruger? Or? No, 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 uh, Paul. But you know, I'll bet you you could probably have some see-through grips made if you really wanted them. Yeah, cool. Lexan. I'm sure. Yeah, Lexan. As a matter of fact, I hear there's a supply of Lexan that's going to be available <laughs> real soon. I think it used to be very popular to make those out of crashed fighter plane cockpits. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smoke. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, um, so, yeah, pretty cool there. Um, of course, Rigger coming out again. Now, they, they also uh, have uh, announced that they're going to offer the Rigger Elite 451-452 trigger. Uh, for their AR-15s, um, it looks like uh, it's a two-stage trigger. It's fully assembled kit in uh, polymer dry fire housing that includes a new grip, uh, hammer spring, safety selector, and all the needed pins uh, that comes along with it. Uh, screw to the mount, uh, the grip, and spring. So it's a uh, it, you know, Ruger, again, offering uh, some new things there. Thirty, They claim uh, the benefits are 30% faster lock time, uh, smoother pull, and a crisp 4.5-pound break. Uh, so Ruger jumping into the 159.95 for the MSRP on that. You know, they've been doing, uh, holy cow, the last month, they've been doing all kinds of things. Now, I mean, some of them were, yeah, right. like the colored... What yep. was the colored LC9s or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it was, or LCR or LCPs? I think it was. Mm-hmm. But they they've got some some new stuff too. This morning or yesterday they announced a couple of new ones. A new version of the 2245, right? Which mm-hmm. is uh, got a different barrel on it, Paul. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, it's got some <clears throat> lightning cuts in it. I guess is what it would would be. Yeah, I'm not terribly familiar. It's something I glanced at. I'm not. It's not really in my wheelhouse, but. Yeah, and then they've got a, a new trigger, I guess, on the what was it, Doc? The LCP. LCP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 they've got a new trigger on it. Red, wide, and skeletonized. I mean, That's right. Yep. Yeah. Rock yep. I, I don't get it, but okay. <laughs> um, so, but they haven't. They they've been coming out with a whole bunch of stuff uh, lately. Yeah. So I, here's, here's my question when it comes to Ruger, mm-hmm. you know, have they, have they fired the whole magazine or do they have ammunition in reserve for Las Vegas? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Is there something <laughs> left for them to introduce? You know, uh, we could, uh, uh, SR9 without a thumb safety. SR9 yeah. Without I, a it's thumb part t- of no. it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe they will. And I'll tell you, I am going to stop at the Ruger booth at shot and see if they've done that. I'm almost wondering if it might be the first place I head to. Yeah, listen, there that would be that that particular firearm with no thumb is a number one, baby. Oh yeah, a I'd number buy, one. Like I said, I'd buy one. I I'd do it in a second. Yeah, I surely would. I I really think that if if they do that, I think they will be surprised 
at the response that they get from the from the serious self defense market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I oh, think. Oh, I forgot to mention. I am headed tomorrow to pick up my LC9 with no thumb safety. Oh, nice. good. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you, I like it. I, I, I you know, they, eventually they need to redesign it to take advantage of the striker fire on that. But yeah, I, I like the no thumb safety on that. I'm digging it. So anyway, we're gonna give that one the one over. And uh, hopefully, like you say, they're going to come out with that SR9C, or SR9 period, and C, uh, to where it has no thumb safety on it, too. So, very cool. But Ruger, yeah, you're right. They have really made a lot of noise this year. Uh, yeah, well, last year. And then, of course, going into this year, too. So, it'd be interesting to see if they've got anything else. I can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, um, so, uh, very cool. Now, Glock. Glock has... Uh, leaked or accident i don't know what an accident i don't think you know it came out that they've got uh they're they're introducing some long slides <laughs> yeah long slide guns in 9 40 45 and now 10 in 10 millimeter 10 call hunters call hunters yeah and Hello. this is yeah this is a a uh, they're calling it the MOS series, I think yeah. is what they call yeah. it. And what's interesting about these, aside from the fact that they've, that they've got long slides, and, and they've had long slide 9s, 40s, and 45s for a while. They, this is the first long slide 10, I think, that they've made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. What's interesting about this is that all of them come from the factory milled and ready for the installation of one of the compact red dot sights like the RMRs uh, or uh, probably Leupold's got the uh, Delta Point, the mm-hmm. Leupold Delta mm-hmm. Point. And so they come milled and ready for installation. And this is, uh, and I'm trying to remember, I think this is the first time that we've seen a major manufacturer mm-hmm. bring out ready guns for those sites and i think that shows that that these mini red dot sites have come of age that they are becoming mainstream now uh, mm-hmm. uh, don't forget grant about the uh, smith and wesson core series now i don't know if that was performance shop only but the core's been out for a couple of years and that was um basically a slide that was milled ready to accept a mount for the major red dots mm. Uh, yeah, that one I don't remember. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, there, and there's a reason why. From a durability standpoint, the core is a is a disaster. Maybe a good competition gun, but uh, the mounting system is just not robust enough for mm. for duty or defensive use. Um, yeah, having having uh, the slide milled ready to install natively one of these sites. And and people are paying a lot of money right now to have Glocks right. and MMPs and, and XDs milled to take these sites. So I think this is from a major manufacturer, a production gun. I, I think this is I think this is a big sign now. When Glock does it, people are going to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, I had that conversation, um, gosh, two years ago, Grant, with, with Pinky, and I said to him, hey, red dots are coming. They're going to be mainstream. <laughs> In five years, you know, a large percentage of guns are going to have red dots on them. And he called BS. And last night we text messaged back and forth a little bit about this. And, and you know, his attitude is, well, when I see 20% in classes have red dots on them, then it's mainstream. Glock has taken it there. End of story. Yeah. Um, this is now a, a real deal. Awesome. In fact, what's interesting is that Glock is uh, – 
is not the only one because Carr announced uh, just, I think, this mm-hmm. week that they're coming out with a new series of guns, too, which they're calling the Gen 2 Premium, which they're, they're obviously aimed at competition guns because they've got shorter, lighter triggers, and, <laughs> and you can get you can get compensated barrels and that kind of thing. But they come from the factory with loophole delta points installed. Mm. And so now we've got, an, although, of course, car is not quite the major manufacturer that Glock is, they are they are pretty much, I think, a mainstream manufacturer these days. And they're coming from the factory with these things installed. So I I think it's just a matter of time before we start to see, and it might be Carr who does it, but I think it's just a matter of time before we start to see the what we would normally think of as a carry gun with these things either ready to go or actually factory installed. Mm. In the, both the case of Carr and, and Glock, these are both long slide pistols for them relative mm. to their other lines. So it's going to be primarily a competition, primarily a hunting kind of thing. But I, I think this proves the viability of the Red Dot. Now, I will admit I'm not a big fan of these Red Dots as as a carry um, sighting system in general, I think that there are still a few issues to be worked out. But I th- I, I'm rapidly, I think, not quite in the minority yet, but there are a lot of people out there who are now using these things and espousing them in the training community. So I think they're coming. And I think these moves by Glock and Carr uh, are just going to hasten the process. Well, well what, what issues? The, the issues we see, uh, dust, of course, is always a problem. They tend to collect lint and, thing, mm-hmm. lint and dust on the windows. Um, if you get water drops on them, it can, becomes very, very difficult to tell where the real red dot is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly here uh, in the Northwest, I, I've had students with them in class here in the Pacific Northwest in, in the rain, and it becomes a real uh, a real problem trying to figure out exactly where the thing is when you you know, see a million red dots on the back of this thing. Um, <laughs> like a so, plaza. <laughs> yeah. There have been some questions uh, about reliability, mm-hmm. durability of these things. Um, I think that that particularly with the newest generations of RMRs and, and the newest loopholes, I think those are starting to be put to rest. Um, and, of course, you still have – they still have a battery, mm-hmm. and you still have to yeah. change the battery, although they run a long time. So there are still some some niggling little issues. They're they're still a little bigger than I think they need to be, mm-hmm. but it's it's coming. Yeah. And I, I think it's really interesting you point those things out, Grant, because we have to remember that these red dot sites, the majority of them, are being used for a purpose that they were not designed for. You know, when you look at the the RMR specifically, it was it was not designed as a slide mounted pistol site, and. <laughs> right. So when you talk about durability issues, when you talk about size, you know, if you put it on, say, a standard Glock 17, it it overhangs both sides of the slide. And that's because it wasn't designed for that purpose. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping in the next generation we we get to deal with some of those issues. But we also have to think about the the actual use of the site. And, And when we think about sites for defensive handguns, really the that red dot comes in handy for that precision shot that needs to be made very quickly at a distance, mm-hmm. which is a, a very small percentage of defensive firearm uses. I know that we talked about a, you know, a, a police officer, law enforcement officer in Texas that took a 70-yard shot with his handgun while holding the reins of two horses. Right. In that situation, red dot, absolutely, that would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. But the majority of situations, 
are not that. And what I worry about is, as Grant alluded to talking about raindrops, if I have to take that shot with, say, my strong hand only or my weak hand only, all of a sudden now, can I even find the dot that I mm. feel like I need? Now I become psychologically dependent on seeing that red dot, and that's going to slow me down in getting the hits that I can naturally get by simply looking at my threat, putting the gun in between and parallel with my line of sight, and pressing the trigger. Well, so the sight just the sight gives us confirmation of what it is we already know what to do right. inside seven yards. Done. I think what's what we're going to see is the when I shoot in competition and transitioning to a red dot in competition. I think you probably experienced this, Paul. It's it did it slowed me down. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> however, uh, the the question really becomes for the person who is new to firearms: Is it going to make the learning process easier? And that will be interesting uh, as the new generations come up, the younger folks come up, and who are not used to or haven't been trained in the traditional ways of shooting like we were, is it going to make um, using the gun over its its range of capabilities easier for them? And I think it might, and we'll, it'll Good remain point. to be seen. Good well, it, and, and the way I'd take that, Grant, is over the traditional methods, I would agree that a red dot sight is an improvement. Mm-hmm. However... We don't need to use traditional methods anymore. We know that there are methods out there for aiming your gun that don't have to be um, as slow and and difficult to do under stress as the traditional methods. And really, we just do it the way – just pretend there's a red dot on top of the gun and go. I agree with you. What do you know? Yeah. Uh, as as uh, we've we've taught together and we've we've both uh, done the same thing. You slept in my house. Yeah, I slept in your house. Oh, on top oh my of all gosh. those 1911s. Quit saying that, sad. man. It's burning my brain. Um, the the <laughs> problem, the of course, <laughs> the, <laughs> the problem, of course, is that the majority of the industry hasn't yet come around to that. And I think what this is going to do is replace Leave them there. That's well, what I hope it's going to do. I, I would hope so, but. The, the reality is the the traditionalists in the industry will probably stick around for a while. So I, I suspect we'll probably see this being used in that kind of uh in that kind of venue. I wouldn't want one on a on a pistol. I've got one. I, I, um and what's your thoughts coming from just having one? What it comes down to for me is I've I've spent some time on the range. Um I shot one during part of a class with Daniel Shaw from Thunderbird Tactical and mm-hmm. And from a precision standpoint, man, I was stacking them up. Um, I didn't need it, and it probably slowed me down. There you go. And see, one of the other things is you're talking about a handgun, uh, you know, these things being on long guns a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You drop a handgun. I mean, I'd, I'd be worried about damage to that. I mean, maybe they make them super, you know, tough, but I don't know. And and like Grant said, you know, you got the batteries to have to deal with. and Right. I mean, you know. Time will tell. Yeah, yep. yeah. I just like old iron sights myself. So, old iron sights. Well, you know that, what I'm like saying. The Come what? on, <laughs> don't go down there, hair. Anyway, <laughs> but that's that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> I like the. Um, I mean, it's still thinking out of the box, though. I mean, they're they're moving in a direction. Uh, you know, I guess the industry is. I don't know. Like you say, time will tell. We'll see. We'll just have to see. But uh, uh, just shoot so, a bunch with a 1911. 
Because that's the next best thing to practicing without sights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull, I'll pull my Colt nineteen oh three out. That that is that is shooting without sights. Hey, speaking yes. of nineteen eleven, did you see Cabot um, had that gold completely it was completely gold? I think it had like Lexan grips. <laughs> Maybe they got the Lexan from Taurus, but did you see that, Grant? I, I saw that. In fact, I'm going to stop by their booth. I, I happen to know the folks at Cabot. Yeah. And uh, and we're friends. In fact, I got a an email from one of their guys the other day asking if I was going to stop by and see them at SHOT Show. So I'll stop by and see them. I'll get pictures of the gold gun uh, for you, Doc. Yes, please. And, uh, and I am – if you go to, to Cabot's website and you look at the testimonials, you will discover that, that I am the only 1911 critic with, the testimo- with a testimony on the 1911 manufacturer's <laughs> site. And you know why. It's because he heralded their guns. <laughs> heralded their guns. So. Uh, I, I, I said I've been very open about this. If I were to ever buy, to buy a 1911, it, it would be, be a yeah. Cabot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. But, uh, yeah, didn't they come out with something... I saw something. I don't remember what it was that they recently had. That they're a new line or something they're coming out with. Yeah, they're they're always coming out with with new lines and mm-hmm. and things. They're they're doing matched pairs this year. Oh, okay. Uh, right and left guns. They they do an absolutely completely left hand 1911. Uh, it's it's not adapted. It is built from the ground up as a left hand gun mm-hmm. with left hand safety. Everything. Is, mm-hmm. is the opposite on this because of their experience in in CNC manufacturing. It's not hard for them to do this, and so they're making making match pairs now. You know, basically mirror image pairs with consecutive serial numbers. So they're mm. doing match. Is Very the barrel cool. twist opposite? Um, I th- <laughs> actually, Paul, I think it is. What? I'll, I'll have to ask Ray, but <clears throat> I seem to remember him telling me that the the barrel uh, twist was opposite. Wow. Yeah, and I asked that intentionally because I yeah. think that's kind of the level that that Cabot would probably take it to. Yeah, that 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 would that would I would expect that of them, just knowing how anal retentive they are. And it's just based on that only, or <laughs> do they think something else? <laughs> no, like you the have torque to... in the wrist from the left hand versus the right hand. Oh, it, trust me, they, they think of all these little details that are just, uh, only uh, only a, a machinist mm-hmm. would appreciate some of the things that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's just amazing that that they do this, and um, uh, the, their guns are nicely made, and they're very accurate. They've won well, it, Camp Perry now, a couple of years, so. Now mm. I think about it, Grant, I want to swing by, because I want to see if the adjustment screws for the sights are on opposite sides. <laughs> I mean, if they took it to the, if they took it to that level, that would truly be impressive. Is it and I truly would let, a mirror I'd let image? You, yeah, I'd let yeah. you buy me a pair. <laughs> <laughs> Not at the price they want. But no, I was gonna say, boy, you get what you pay for on that for sure. Wow. Not cheap. Well, what else? Uh, what are some other things coming up? You know, do you think Glock, the elephant in the room here, do you think that Glock is going to introduce? I mean, you know, this other was leaked with long slides. Do you think they're holding back and are going to come out with a, a you know, single stack nine finally? Oh, so, are we going to go on the record of uh, with a prediction here? Yeah. Okay. Um, I say no. I think they're not they going to. You think I they think, will? I think they will. I well, I hope so. I, I truly hope so. Um, I don't been, think. I don't but, think it's going to happen, but. 
the good news is, is just like last year, I think there's going to be a Remington R51. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the answer. <laughs> We're just waiting for it. Yeah. Well, I would have a hard time thinking that they wouldn't. Um, I think I think gun manufacturers, and, and one of the things I've noticed in the industry is folks are becoming tighter and tighter with what's coming up because these kinds of things happen. You get information to distributors, they can have their websites prepared and ready to launch a product, and a, and a mistake gets made. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether they want it to be made or not, that's always kind of a, a toss-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's part of um, the excitement about coming up to SHOT Show is, just like I said, what's Ruger got left? What mm-hmm. do they have left to announce? What does Glock have left to announce? Maybe nothing. Mm-hmm. Maybe something. Glock's Glock, the only yeah. company out there still that doesn't make an AR. That might be it. <laughs> oh no! It's, oh no! It's it's really. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, Ian, as silly as that sounds to you and me and to the rest of us, it's actually from a marketing standpoint a brilliant move. Yeah. Just oh. like, just like launching a 380 single stack and then waiting a year for the nine millimeter that everybody really wants, mm-hmm. because they're going to sell some percentage of that 380 to folks that are like, well, I wish it was a nine millimeter, but you know, I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Interestingly enough, <clears throat> the, the idea of a, of a Glock AR, from the standpoint of their huge police presence in this country, yep, th- that w- they would probably make money at that. Simply it's a me too. Because, yeah, you know the the yeah. police departments could go to one vendor and just get everything. Pull they it all. Yeah, that's right. A me too. And they've got they've got a lot of marketing. Well, a lot of uh, bargaining power in that too when they do that. So, however, comma. Glock would never do that because they have a very, very definite not invented here syndrome. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, I don't think they'd ever do it. They should, but I don't think they would. Yeah. Wait, who who was it that somebody introduced or is introducing a the AR in a nine millimeter pistol? Did y'all y'all hear that? Oh, like probably half a dozen people by now. Yeah, that's Why? not exactly new. Why? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, why? 9 millimeter ARs? Those have been around for ages. No, I'm talking about the pistol, though. Yeah, they, they, I have seen the pistols. Really? Yeah. Okay, and they're good for... Uh, the same thing a Tech 9 is good for? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Selling to dumb people. <laughs> oh, you can put a SIG brace on it. Yay! Well, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so speaking of that, here's a very interesting <laughs> question that, that came up. So, and this this comes out of the Ares Armament fiasco. Um, I mean, those guys are like seriously just begging to be the nail that gets hammered down. However, they have gotten. Follow me through this this series of of legal assumptions here. First off, we know that an eighty percent receiver is one that has been deemed to be not complete enough, so such as to qualify as being an actual firearm mm-hmm. by under the law. Uh, however, at, at that point, typically, any further uh, processing of that receiver does render it into a legal firearm. In the specific case of Ares, they made these polymer ones, and they made the material in the magazine well that you had to remove, and in the, the fire control area, a different color, so it would be very easy to know what you had to remove. ATF determined that that alone made it a receiver, but in addition, that if any material were removed from that pocket, that's where you cross the line into making a legal receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
go ahead and keep going. Okay. Ian. I, I think there, so, I, I have a little bit different interpretation on that, but keep, keep going. Okay. Uh, what gets very interesting is there's a, a very recent letter that came out from ATF, a determination that, um, well, uh, okay, let me back up. What Aries contends as a result is that if you buy a lower and then let's say you, you, you remove a little bit of material from that pocket, you've now made, you've gone through the process of making it a firearm. It is now legally a firearm. And now you can just, take it to, say, a gunsmith who has a CNC machine who can finish routing out all the, the extra material and drilling the holes for you. And at that point, it doesn't have to be papered in any additional way because you provided the gunsmith with a legally complete firearm, and all they're doing is gunsmithing work, and then they send it back to you. And ATF has come out and said that, no, 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 that's also not legal. Right. I'll clarify one of the issues that the ATF had with the Ares lower, and they were not the only polymer lower manufacturer who did this. Um, there were several issues that they had with the sequence of molding of those exactly. things. Exactly. That right. was part of it. The other part of it was if you take a what is an 80% aluminum lower, and the uh, one that the ATF has signed off on. If you as a manufacturer provide locating points on the side of the receiver for the holes that you need to drill for the hammer pivot and the trigger pivot and that kind of thing, that automatically deems it a firearm, no right. matter – because that's a, a critical dimension. And, and part of the determination are the critical dimensions. And one of the issues that they had with Aries is that, of course, the polymer that they injected into this thing filled up what would have been holes and so that they were marked. Right. Obviously on the frame. So the ATF had a huge problem yes. with that critical dimension being laid out for people. And However, part of it. none of this series of arguments is has to be on an Aries. It could be on a any other normal aluminum eighty percent lower. Yes. If True. say I start to I, I go ahead and I'll thread the hole for the pistol grip, which is totally non dimensionally relevant. Once I do that, now I've made a receiver, and now I can give it to someone who actually knows what they're doing, and they can go ahead and finish it without F4473 ever having been required. Right. Which yeah, is interesting in that that's what ATF's regulations all lead up to, but then they also decide that well, they want to have their cake and eat it too, and that's also illegal. Yeah, they, it, it, this is that interesting sort of line that we get to when we have uh, – and again, this comes right out of the Gun Control Act of 1968. When you yep. determine what is and is not a firearm and what has and, and doesn't need to be uh, serialized. And the – okay, great. So it's going to be 80 percent good. How do you, how, how do you determine 80%? Right. Do you, right. uh, 80% in terms of machining time or 80% in terms of expertise? Oh, or That's or not our problem. They volume. came up with the 80% thing in the first place, so they yeah. get to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and so if they didn't do 80%, somebody would say, do a completely finished receiver except for one hole and say, oh, it's not finished, so it's not right. yet. So they, they, drew the, they had to draw a line someplace, and no matter where they drew the line, they would have this argument. Yeah. Right. It it really doesn't matter. But it's still a lot of fun to watch. It's a, it's a lot of fun to watch and <laughs> and uh, you know when people are watching this and wondering what's going on the question in the back of your mind has to be when does a lump of steel or aluminum or polymer when does it actually become a gun? Right. right. And and that's and and when you start to think about it 
there's no way you can define when it becomes a gun, which is the problem. Yeah. Well, and, and we see that not not only here in the U.S., but across the world and the different definitions of what a firearm is. And here in the U.S., it's the frame, and in other countries, it's a barrel. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, the fact of the matter is, you know, Grant, you alluded to the sequence issues. Um, you know, Ian's talking about machine time. Okay, guess what? None of it matters. None of it matters. And And that's the thing that I get to on this over and over again. From a legal standpoint, of course, it does matter. But in reality... Who cares? And why are we why are we making laws like this that are so complicated? Mm-hmm. It's frustrating to me. Well said. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. Because uh, because Congress has deemed certain firearms or firearms in general to be evil things that need to be regulated. That's why. Yes. So there you go. Evil. You know, actually, in some ways, it's even more than just an evil thing. It's a tax thing. Right. Some of this comes down to whether or not you have to pay the excise tax yeah. of eleven percent yeah. on a firearm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, more stuff for Shot Show. Uh, what else you think, guys? Uh, I'll tell I you pre- what. Yeah, I go predict ahead. there will let be less than three interesting new things at Shot Show. <laughs> 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 okay, does the Remington booth count? <laughs> it depends what's inside the Remington booth. <laughs> I know there's a new restaurant outside the Sands uh, Casino or Sands Expo Center, so that, I'm excited about that. That's oh, be good. good. Yeah, that, Another that'll place be to good. hang out other than Public House, so that's good. Oh, so yeah. Crowd, so. Public House where they wouldn't give a celebrity like me a private room. That was... What? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? Long story. Do you need a private room? I'll call the the Yardbird tomorrow and get us a private room. <laughs> no, that's quite all right. Private room. Okay. That's quite you, all right. Oh, wait a minute. Are you guys staying together? No. Uh, oh. Grant is not going to be sleeping at my house. Um, Only if Paul brings the 1911s. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> what it is. That's uh, what it is. Goodness. Well, I mean, what do you think? Something else coming up here. Let's, uh, you know, we talked about Glock. What's Taurus going to have? <laughs> uh, they already make a 1911. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to go to their booth and look. Yeah. Well, Ruger, Ruger's, uh, I think I saw today, they've got like a 1911 that's supposed to be lightweight or something, right? Yeah, yeah. they've got a lightweight commander, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, commander-sized mm-hmm. lightweight. <clears throat> you know, uh, here's predictions. Uh, we will see new introductions of 1911s from people who haven't previously made 1911s. Mm-hmm. We will see... We will see, yeah, <laughs> ARs by people who have not previously made ER, ARs. Mm-hmm. Um we will probably see the introduction of yet another way to hang stuff on your AR-15 besides key mod and whatever the other one is. M-Lock. Yeah, we'll see it. We'll see a, a third one come out. Um, and beyond that, we, you know, we'll probably see sort of uh, evolutionary changes in various things. The only thing that I'm really excited to see, I kind of like to see CZ's new semi-automatic 223 rifle, which has oh. not yet uh, been approved for importation, but I'm hoping maybe they'll show one. They had that a couple years ago, didn't they? The, uh, the 805 Bren? Uh, was that the one, the 805 Bren? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that they will announce that, that the ATF has improved importation is what I'm hoping. Um, but they're bringing it in as a as a pistol mm. now. They just announced that, so I'm hoping that this means maybe the the rifle is falling because that's one of the few things that that is really kind of interesting in the rifle world right now. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, it's gotten to the point where I don't know about Paul, but I don't even pay attention to the AR-15 market anymore. It's just so boring. Yeah, 
I look at uh, I look at what uh, Letner Wise manufacturing excuse me Letner Wise manufacturing does. Um, you know, I, I think Paul does some good things with taking and, and merging the traditional design with some new steps. And so I'll be looking to see where it is that he's at with his um, modifications to that platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly excited, and this isn't really a new thing, um, but the Desert Tech MDR is a bullpup rifle, mm. uh, 27 and a half inches in length. Okay. Changeable caliber. Uh, we're talking 7.62 by 39, 308, 556, five, and then I think 6.8. And three. Oh yeah, yeah, 300 blackout. Absolutely, can't yeah. miss 300 blackout. Um, I, I came very close to getting to go to their introductory launch of that thing, and I'm a little disappointed that I didn't. Yeah, I'm, really I, curious I'm actually how the kind thing of surprised. Works. I'm kind of surprised that uh, that I didn't. Uh, um, get called up. I've been to visit the factory, spent some time, did some interviews, um, but they had a changeover in the marketing department. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of progress they've made and and where they're headed with that rifle. They've sorted out, it seems like, a lot of the issues that the bullpup rifle has, you know, that that come along with the bullpup design. Mm -hmm. And so here we are, we talked about taxes just a minute ago. You know, we've got a a 27 and a half inch rifle that's seven and a half pounds, um, that has a full-length 16-inch barrel and 5.56. Okay, we're talking about just about the perfect package mm-hmm. for home defense or for you know carrying in a vehicle for armed security use, whether that's uh, you know a protection detail or or law enforcement. I mean, this is a this is an awesome tool. That's a standard rifle. Doesn't cost the extra 200 bucks to get an SBR, mm-hmm. and you have the ballistic package that comes along with a full-length 16-inch barrel. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty awesome. If if Nick and the guys over at Desert Tech have have made the progress that they're hoping to make, you know, we should see that rifle ready to go in June, and they should have a fully functional prototype at Shot Show. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. What makes me really curious is all of the the video that came out of their launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the people there apparently were not allowed to show the internals, and at the same time, this is also apparently like the fifth iteration of the gun so far yeah. in their their yeah. internal development. And if it's that far along, frankly, if they have anything really actually innovative, they would have patented it by now, and it wouldn't matter if they show it, which makes me almost suspicious that the internals of the thing are basically another AR-180 copy uh, or something else that's totally normal um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, frankly, uninteresting. Right. And I'm really curious to see, did they are they keeping that secret because – they want to maintain some curiosity that it will be something new or is it actually something new that they have decided they don't want to bother patenting or what? Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting uh, question. And, and, you know, knowing a little bit about desert tech's history and, and their designer, Nick, and what it is that he builds and how it is that he goes about the, the designing process. I mean, this guy's completely outside of the box. And so I'm hoping that it's going to be a lot of really new and interesting things. Who knows? Um, I do know that the magazine release, the last I saw, the last iteration that I was familiar with was, you know, index finger in front of the trigger guard where we think in the U S the manual of arms, you know, makes that belong. That's cool. It is. Um, And so we'll have to see. We'll have to see. The, this gun has been so long in gestation that (laughs) realistically, if they don't, if they don't have product, uh, if they don't have product at least in the pipeline and ready to ship in summer, 
they're they're, they're never going to make it. It's inverse it's marketing. Not, it, it's too. not going to happen. Be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's you know if you and and the thing is well gee if you can't get something to market in five years what makes you think you could do it in six mm-hmm. you know and so uh, I I think this is kind of a make or break show for them with that rifle. If if they don't do anything with it, I think the market's just going to say, oh, okay, okay, great, another yet another promising bullpup that didn't make it. Yeah, I, I kind <laughs> of think you're right, Grant, um, in the sense that this is make it or break it. But again, I'll approach it from the the history of the company. My guess is when they told us at Shot Show last year that they were looking at a 15 to 18 month timeline, that they probably actually knew what they were talking about. Um, and that's what I'm going to hang my hopes on. And if mm-hmm. not, you know, I'll just I'll start making fun of them like I did Remington. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> well, what 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 do you think they're going to? Have they mentioned what uh, price wise? What we're talking like like twenty one hundred. If you have for, to ask, you can't afford it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, but, get a Cabot. But when we start to look at that compared to a high end. AR-15 or even a, a well, mid-level true. AR-15, true. it's right in there. And then we're talking about caliber uh, conversions mm-hmm. for about 900 bucks, which is right in the same ballpark. Yeah, that, that definitely upper. is a plus, sure. Yeah. I mean, Change. you know, so so it's not, it's not $700 like an AR-15 is right now, mm-hmm. but it's also, you know, a, a much more of a niche gun. Right. Love to have a good... Uh, Bullpup, no joke. Mm-hmm. Be very interesting mm-hmm. if Caltech can get their RDB actually. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that myself. Actually, because it. <laughs> yeah. Did, have you seen one? Have they? Well, so the uh, my understanding is Caltech's business model is that they come up with really cool ideas. Yep. And then they build one of them and they send it to Oleg Volk. Right. And he takes, he takes a gazillion pictures. awesome yeah, pictures of yeah, it. Yeah. And then they come up with a new cool idea, and they build one of them, and then they send that one to Oleg. <laughs> And, and this appears to be the business cycle, and I'm not sure where the money in it comes from. Right, right. <laughs> so, well, yeah, Oleg apparently has at least one of those. He's got them, I think, yeah. He keeps showing up in his pictures. Yeah. Um, and frankly, I think it's got as much interesting – in some ways, it's got more potential than the, the Desert Tech. Um, Desert Tech talks about being ambidextrous because mm-hmm. they basically have a little block on the ejection port that redirects an, a spent case forward. Right, which, which is a clever idea, but it's not the same thing as being downward injecting like mm-hmm. the Caltech. And yeah, I it's really got that trickle where it trickles the brass out, right? I mean, um, just down that tube. Their 308 one comes out forward. The RDB, the 223 yeah. 7.62 caliber, uh, I believe, is downward ejecting out the back, oh. like either I think right behind the magazine. Mm-hmm. I think so. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, which is very interesting. I'm sorry, but I just don't know that I could put. Okay, Caltech people, don't get mad. <laughs> Please. Well, I we've just, already ticked off the, the I Taurus just, people tonight, I'm just so. scared. I would be scared to put that receiver right there at my face with a 308 from them. I just... Mm-mm. I've seen one. There's a gigantic chunk of steel on their 308 bullpup. So, so you feel that. comfortable, huh? <laughs> yes, but what kind of steel? Now, yeah. <laughs> aluminum? Uh, now, I, when I did shoot a magnesium. 308, I, I, we did end up having to actually take a rubber mallet and write Keltec on it, because that's how often it had to get used. <laughs> well, to be, and, and, to be fair, and to be fair enough to the Desert Tech, when you talk about that forward eject and that piece that drives the case forward, uh-huh. if, I'm concerned about that from a malfunction standpoint. If the gun malfunctions, mm. that now has to be dealt with, and that piece has to be opened, and you know, at Good least point. in the iteration I saw. So... Right, you know we we haven't solved all the problems until until we see a production model out running 
or a bunch of them out running. Yeah. Good point. In some ways, I'm almost glad that I didn't end up going to their launch because what I'd rather do is get a T&E gun and just beat the crap out of it and find yeah, out how I it agree. breaks. So, yeah. so get a T&E gun and beat the crap out of it. and I'm trying. Tell I'll us, tell you man. what. Tell us. I, I will do my best. Yeah, go for it. Awesome. Paul will let you uh, test out his R51. You know, what? We're gonna be, you know what we're going to be testing in about a week? Uh, one of the guys I know at our two-gun match got his hands on a Masterpiece Arms 556. Mm. Uh, and we call it the Trailer Park Scar. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, lost so many listeners tonight. <laughs> and we are going to have at least three, if not more, like five or six people all running it in the next two-gun match. Mm. Uh, so we will find out what makes that thing break. Awesome. Um, and I have actually a Leader T2 that I'm taking as a backup gun, which is appropriate because the Masterpiece Arms is literally a copy of the Leader T2. Mm. So, Except that Masterpiece put about five pounds of rail on the front of it. Very oh, cool. boy. Now, Leader, there's a name I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, the Australians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, wasn't the T2 basically in uh, an AR-180? With a triangular bolt. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, it's I... a fantastic gun, I think. Um, it's extremely cheap <laughs> to manufacture. It's very simple. The triangular bolt is a brilliant idea. And they are out of business, correct? Oh, yeah. They were making them in Australia. So it couldn't have been before all Before the Australian ban. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually had a chance to meet the designer, Charles St. George, at SHOT Show a couple of years ago. Um, and I am curious. I'm not sure if he is involved with Masterpiece Arms or if his patents expired and they just decided to copy the gun on their own or exactly what's up with that. Hmm. Interesting. Meeting Last I knew, he was... Go ahead. I'm what's sorry. That? I was just going to say, meeting the designers at Guns is, is awesome to get to talk to them about you know what they were thinking when they did what they did. Yeah. I met the designer of the R51 last year. <laughs> I thought he'd been dead for a very long time. <laughs> no, 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 no. He the went to the grave site. The all-new R51. Oh, the new one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, I thought you meant the old one, not the one that doesn't work. You mean work. the one that uh, not didn't work no, no, no. versus the one that worked. I'm working my way up, Ian. Come on. They, maybe they should have used the dead guy as the designer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they could have blamed it on him. And yeah, and they, you and you scoff at me when I talk about resurrecting the Colt All American Two Thousand. Oh my God! Sheesh! You know what else, Grant? You'll get a kick out of this. One of the other lots that I'm going to do a video on at Rock Island is a collector's lot of Colt failures. Now they don't <laughs> advertise it that way, but what else would you call a, a two pack for for the pri- one single price? You get an All American Two Thousand and a Double Eagle. Oh, <laughs> all it needs is like the third gun in there to be like a, a lightning or a thunderer. There you go. <laughs> and then it'd be, you know, Colt all time classic fails. <laughs> Sounds like a YouTube video. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, anything else we want to talk about as far as the shot show goes? I, there's only one other thing. I got to hold and tinker around with a single stack nine millimeter at the NR no NASGW show mm-hmm. in uh, Little Rock, and I'm hearing that this gun might be ready to fire at uh, the industry days at the range, and so I'm kind of intrigued to see if that happens and and what that's like. So I I am with you on that. 
that should I be am a- annoyed that I couldn't get into the industry shoot. <sighs> I had to work at it pretty hard, and I tell I, you what. It's, he told him he knew me, so... It's a disaster. That's right. I said, hey, uh, Doc Weston wanted me to come and uh, handle... Yeah, we got to have it, man. Yeah. We got to have it. Not a very well-handled event from a registration standpoint. Mm. I didn't find out until far too late that you have to have a specific invite from a gun manufacturer or right. something along those lines. Yep. So, just SOL. Oh, well. Well, keep an eye on my YouTube channel, Ian, and uh, you can. it's almost like you're there. I will do that. I'll try and find you at the show and ask you how it went. There you go. Yep. Sounds great. I'll have well, scotch. <laughs> Ooh, I'll better. definitely find you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's close it up. Um, you know, um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, I hope I hope there's something uh, that comes out that we're going to be, like, just going nuts over. Um, we'll see what happens. Maybe Glock will do their thing with the single stack, and Rigger will drop that thumb safety on SR9. And I'm waiting for the R51 special. R51 edition. will come just barreling in, and everybody will be like, "Man, this is the best thing since you know Saran Wrap." In fact, in fact, they'll probably team up, team up with Caracal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh I my finally gosh. found one of those R51s on Gunbroker, and it's more expensive than my stupid original one that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> I can't justify it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. All right, guys. Well, let's let's uh, close it up and uh, enjoyed uh, talking with you guys tonight. And uh, looking forward to seeing what comes up. And uh, um, you know, shot shows real soon here. Um, Ian, I was going to ask you. You said you were going. Uh, where were you going again? To uh, I am Rock going Island? to Rock Island Auction yeah. Company. Yeah. Um, that's next week, but the video I do there will not come out until uh, beginning of February. Awesome. And I did want to mention, too, Grant, I have not received your book yet. Uh, I uh, haven't received yours either, Doc. My book? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you yeah. wanted to read Doc. about... Um, you wanted to read about... Uh, uh, never mind, never mind. Close sales on uh, filtration with polymeric... <laughs> okay, well, anyway. <clears throat> I got a few, but they're not anything you'd want to read, I don't think. <laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, yeah, Grant, I mean, we we're going to do this big review on Grant's book, and he went to another podcast. Uh, <laughs> that wise, Grant. Just saying. Just saying. Anyway. And of course, when when we said, hey, you know, what about us? And, you know, this is our podcast. And he's like, uh, well, I got to get my book first. Mm-hmm. Somehow I think he got his book already. I have one that it, it they arrived here uh, around Christmas time, and I have one sitting on the desk with your name on it. That's what I'm talking about. Which book have, is this, Grant? What's this? Which book is this? This is Defensive Pistol Fundamentals. Uh, I think I've looked at some of that, maybe. Yeah, I All think right. you probably have. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, because we want to talk about it on the show. Fine. I'll get your copy out. Just to keep your pants on. Gun Nation, Grant Cunningham, co-host. Just saying. Anyway, all right, guys. Well, that's good tonight. Um, you know, hate that Joe wasn't here, but uh, next week uh, we, we we've been we've been trying. Um, <clears throat> it's after Christmas now. We want to talk about uh, something that's going to be kind of fun, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, Joe wasn't here tonight, so we we couldn't get to it. We want to have him around when it happens, but it's going to be the lump of coal special. Hopefully, it'll be next week. And uh, 
you know, I guess, should we lay out what it is, Grant? Um, no, let's just tell them it's going to be a very fun show. It is going to be fun. <laughs> so The hope, Lump of Coal the Show. The Lump of Coal. Start thinking what that might be. Yeah, what is a lump of coal? Especially yeah. around Christmas time? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, have an idea in your head. Hopefully we'll do it next week. Uh, Grant, uh, Grant uh, will be with us, of course. And, and maybe these two guys, these other two guys, the new guys. But we got to have Joe on here because it's going to definitely include him uh, specifically. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. All right, guys. Well, let's close it up. Thank you for everything. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, next week. All right. Next have time. a good night. Hey, see y'all. That'll do it for this episode of the Gun Nation. Thank you for listening to our program. Pay a visit to the main webpage at gunnation.us for all things Gun Nation. And until the next episode, please stay armed and polite. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.